Would you open your Bibles to the book of John? I've been going easy on you with books. One of these days we're going to teach from Habakkuk and you're going to be like, what? What page is that on? John chapter 1, verse 19. And while you're turning there, I just got a text this morning from, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Dana Curry, uh, Heather Mercer, 14 years ago. They were missionaries in Afghanistan, and right after we started dropping bombs over there, they were uh, kidnapped and held hostage by the Taliban. Uh, We've had Dana speak before. Uh, They just got back there in Morocco uh, now is where the Lord has called them to, and I never know how much I can and can't say because they're in strict Muslim countries right now. But they they tweeted me this morning, they're back, they got back from Morocco last night, so We've got some other big surprises next week, but one of them is that they're gonna come and uh, share just a little bit about what happened and what's going on right now in Morocco and hopefully get Dana to tell a little bit of her story about being held captive by the Taliban. And if you don't remember, just Google when you go home. It was all over the news. It was all over CNN. I mean, it it was a time that was crazy. Uh, Dana was actually born in Brentwood, has been a member of Thompson's Asian Church for most of her life. So it's exciting uh, that they happened to be here and we were one of the first people that that, uh, that they touch base with. So next weekend is gonna be, like I said, there's more that I have that we can tell you about when we eat next week, but it's gonna be a great weekend. So I know it's the 4th of July, but not only will there be free burgers and dogs, but there'll be free awesome as well. So John chapter one, verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and didn't deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He said, no. And then they said to him, well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And verse 24, and now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, well, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. And these things were done in Bethbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Father, would you give us insight into your word today? Let it be a light for our path. Just this, this short amount of time that we're gonna just dive into your word and, and seek your wisdom that you might speak into each of our hearts. And Lord, maybe you start speaking to one or two of us and they just check out from what I'm saying. Absolutely, what a great thing for you to speak to them personally. But it's my hope, my prayer that you will speak to each of us in a special and a unique way. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, they say that 40 uh, is the new 30. Have you heard this? What a steaming pile of not true that is. You know what I'm saying? Because I remember being 30. But when I was 30, like, like now, like it's hard for me to walk in, like if my wife is sleeping at night and I'm coming a little later, it's hard to because my ankles pop so loud. Do you know what I'm saying? Does this happen to anybody? There are times when I wake up in the morning and my neck is so sore, like if I did it like right now, it'd like pop on me from sleeping. 
Let that sink in for a minute. I'm just laying still. And somehow, at 43, that injures me. I mean, you know, if you've been to Africa or Haiti or some of these other places, they carry with the equivalent of like a Volkswagen on their head, and they don't need a chiropractor for that. I need it for sleeping. 40 is the new 30. The thing is, is once you kind of crest that number, like, and I'm part of, I guess, what they would have called Gen Y or, you know, Gen X. And we all turned 40, like, I think 1971, we started turning 40, you know, three years ago. And so I'm kind of saying, okay, things don't work the same as they used to. There's a, I don't know if menopause is actually a thing, but I don't, you know, there's days I'm in a bad mood, I don't even know why. He's sweating from my brow. I'm like, man, is that a hot flash for a dude? I don't know. (laughs) Which is why the air conditioning is so critical in here, right? (laughs) But the thing that I've figured out after I've gotten to this age was that something else starts to happen, not just your ankles pop and your neck hurt and those other, you know, just things. You got to go to the doctor for the appointment. Um, (laughs) I thought middle middle school was bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? When you had to go for the, the physical for the first time, I was humiliated. I didn't realize it, it was getting, it'll get worse from there. Like, nobody told me that. So you 30-year-old dudes, it's coming for you. <laughs> but not only does those things change and <laughs> physically, but emotionally things start to happen. And you, it's, you know, we, we jokingly call it a midlife crisis where you start to ask yourself questions about, you know, who am I, why am I here, you know, is it been, it's, because it's seriously, at 43, there's, there, it's entirely possible I have less time ahead of me than I have behind me, right? And I know some of you are older and thinking, oh, dude, what a joker this kid is. But there's some of you that are younger going, seriously, we got to listen to the old guy today? Because we're, we're all heading towards the same destination and at different phases along the way, but somewhere in your mid to late 30s, your early 40s, you start asking those questions of like, you know, when this church was being born, it was, I was thinking, this could, this could be one of the, the last things that God does with me on earth. And is that what I want to spend the rest of my life doing? Is that what God wants me to do? And what happens in our lives in, in that age is, again, we call it a midlife crisis. He used to go buy a sports car. I started a church, so I don't know if that's... <laughs> no, this has been great. It, but is that the Lord begins, he can anyway, work into that hunger in your life, something for your good his good and your good and his glory and his glory alone. And whether you are, like I said, in retirement age or whether you are 17, the question really that, that sort of escalates at that age is the question that you have your whole life. Who am I and why am I here? Does anybody remember Admiral Stocksdale, the guy that was Ross Perot's vice presidential candidate? Some of you remember that. And do you remember that first presidential debate when he had to turn his hearing aid back on. It was really entertaining. I was, it was like 91-ish or something. But he, when he turned his hearing aid back on in one of those early debates, he said, who am I and why am I here? Remember that? Some of you remember it. And it was funny because he really was asking literally, like, who am I and why am I here? But he asked the philosophical question of the ages of who am I and why am I here? That's a question that matters. If you're 17, it matters if you're 77. And it matters for us as a church as well. Conduit is not a what. I can't say that enough or emphatically enough. We're a who. We are the whole of our 
parts together. This thing is a building, and I'm grateful for it, particularly this morning where it was raining buckets. So it kept us dry. But all this is is keeping us dry so that the church, us, can come together. And if we are a church that can answer the questions of who am I and why am I here, then together, who are we and why are we here becomes so much easier to answer. I don't have to write it on the whiteboard. I don't need to do the four imperatives of things that we are. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. We just don't have to do that. The church is a vehicle. I have a vehicle. I drove it here this morning. It does not have a mission statement. It just carries me around to do the mission that God has for me to do. The building doesn't have a mission statement. We are, and what is the mission that God has for us? And here's why that's so critical. Because as you guys are hitting that age, and I'm telling you, if you're younger, it's coming for you. One of the things I've seen is that as we get older in those ages, when marriages are falling apart, things are happening, it's really the core of the question is who am I and why am I here? A lack of satisfaction, a lack of fulfillment, a lack of vitality. They call it a midlife crisis, but that's only because you suddenly become aware of it. It started when you were a child. It starts right now with our kids on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram. How many likes can I get? Because I'm trying to validate who I am. John, in this story we just read, this text, if 40 is the new 30, was at his midlife. He's 30 years old. And quite frankly, at that day and age, the life expectancy, he was probably past half of his life. In places like Haiti, I had a conversation a few months ago with Pastor Rodrigue, who was the pastor of our church down there. He's my age, he's 43. And he was talking like, Darren, but I'm getting so old. And I don't know what I, you know, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? And what am I, I don't have that much time left. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm 43. Shut up, stop talking like that. What do you mean you're 43? But the life expectancy in Haiti is 55, 60, tops. Now, if people live by, beyond, or whatever, but the, the average life expectancy, he is well past his, his half. And he's asking the same question that you're asking the same question. I'm asking whether you even know it or not, every decision you're making falls under the guise of who am I, why do I think I am here, who am I, who do I think I am? And John, somebody who could have easily been in the middle of a midlife crisis, had answered that question so succinctly, and he answers it right here in this text, in a way that I think I can learn from him, I think you can learn from him, in a way that will carry us well into the, wherever the Lord carries us to be. That we can live in the way that John did, a rugged vitality, a passion of fulfillment, just based on the simple answers that he gives to these questions. John was born miraculously. Do you remember the story? He was from the house of Eli. He was born to Zachariah and Elizabeth. Priests, and God... Uh, took, uh, took him aside in the temple and said, uh, you know, you're going to have a baby. It's long past childbearing years. And if anybody had it made in the shade, it would have been John because he was born into the priesthood. You can't just go. There wasn't like a, a Joseph's list where you could go and apply for priest jobs. He was born into it. That was the only way to be it. You would have been financially set. You would have been riding off into the sunset of it, but if you've been born into that before, you might also know what he could have experienced, which is, well, do I really want to do this with my life? Just because my dad did it, does that mean I did it? Do I have to do this? Because now I have to do this because I'm born to do it. Can't I just be whatever I want to be? And at 30 or 40, your midlife, that's a pretty miserable place to be. But he wasn't there. Instead, he was in the desert around the Dead Sea in a place 
place called Bethbara, which actually means place of fury, <laughs> declaring, prophesying the way of the Lord. He didn't have much. He, he, he wore uh, you know, uh, woolen, uh, sheep clothes, and uh, ate locusts, and you know, we know the story of this. But he was clearly fulfilled, and he clearly knew exactly what God had him on this earth to do. People by the hundreds and thousands were flocking to him. And he was doing something very strange. He was baptizing them. I say that it was strange because the Jewish people practiced baptism, but not on themselves, on, the, on others. Do you know what I'm saying? If you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to Judaism, then you would be baptized. And that's what John was doing, and it was causing all kinds of waves because, hey, why is he baptizing Jewish people? Who is this guy? And so they sent a delegation to him all the way up to the Dead Sea, all the way to Beth Bara, and ask him these three questions. And if you're a note taker, you can write them down. In verse 19, they said, who are you? And in verse 22, they ask, well, then what do you say about yourself? So not only who are you, but the second thing they ask in verse 22 is, what do you do? And the third question they ask him is, well, why do you do what you do? And that's in verse 25. So number one, verse 19, who are you? Number two, verse 22, so what about you? Who are you? What, what are you? What are you doing here? What do you do? And verse uh, 25, number three is, why do you do what you do? Who are you? What are you? And why are you here? If we know the answers to those questions, and I look, I don't mean to oversell this or overbake it, but I'm telling you, it, sometimes we complicate things, we go to conferences, we pay lots of money to figure out how to be fulfilled, to be full of joy, and it's the simple things. I don't know if you know this, but if, I, I don't know this because I'm, I'm terrible at golfing, but they say that, if you're a real golfer, you know this, that sometimes it's just a, literally a matter of a tweak of just a, a, a centimeter on your swing that means all the difference in the world for your game. This is one of those little tweaks that I think if we get it, that it literally will change the game for you and for me. Who are you, they said to him. And I would love to consider that question with you this morning because look what John said. Who are you? He said, I am not the Christ. Who are you, John? I am not the Christ. If I can get that down in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, Boy, is my life so much better. Because you know, there are those back in the day, Shirley MacLaine, and today there are the guys on the circuit that almost, they said, you are a God. There is a God in you. You know, it's part of Oprah's shtick, you know, is that you are your own God, and you have this power inside of you. And I wouldn't break it to you, but that's actually not really true. <laughs> Sorry. And if I can understand that, if you can understand that, if we can understand that, there's a freedom that it brings. It brought it for John, and it brings it for you, and it brings it for me. I am not the Christ. And I say that, and I want you to know I say it out loud, and I believe it academically. But I can tell you that in my spirit sometimes, in my soul, I don't live it out that well. And you know why? Because you can look at our prayer life and say that I can say I'm not the Christ, but then I run around all week acting like I am. If I really believe that, how much more time do I spend in prayer seeking his face, saying, Jesus, I need you? It's not because he's a giant buzzkill. It's not because he's mean and oppressive. You and I have been bulldozed by sin, by society. 
broken down, bulldozed over, left for dead. When Jesus said that you can do nothing without me, he didn't say it like, oh, I'm a control freak. He's saying, no, no, that's actually true. That your cleverness won't get it done. My ingenuity, clearly, will not get it done. I have to depend on him. As we sit here this morning, I can tell you with certainty that maybe I didn't even realize it's what we were doing at the time, but in March at Conduit, we said, you know what? In a few years, a couple years, less than that, we're gonna be out of the school because they won't let us be in here anymore. That we can't afford to buy a building, we can't afford to go someplace. So maybe, maybe God just wants us to go our separate ways. Maybe God has other plans and we'll just spread out in the community. Maybe that's what'll happen. But what we were really saying was, I'm not the Christ, I can't figure this out. I drove all over this place. I made phone calls, I met with other schools. We went so far as to consider, what if we just change the name of the church, start over, call it something new. Then we get six more years in Williamson County Schools. I promise you, that was a conversation we had. And it ultimately came back to, I'm not the Christ. I'm just not. And when I finally put myself in a position to that, what it really does is it drives me to prayer not out of obligation. It brings me to prayer just out of a recognition. And that's a whole different way of praying. Remember the prayer, maybe you're doing it right now, I don't know. The prayer where I've got to pray 45 minutes a day, or it's 15 minutes and I gotta pray and I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna look at the clock. And, and I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, I had the ADD, do you know what I'm talking about? And so I would sit in there, I'm like, I'm gonna sit still, I'm gonna think about Jesus, and then it just wouldn't work. And, but I was praying out of an obligation. When I'm praying out of a, I swear to you, I can't figure this out. I mean, one of the things that David Holderman said when he was challenging me was, if you're basically planning something, you can, I'm paraphrasing, that you can figure out, it's probably not God anyway. So we put ourselves in a position where we were literally, we were like headed for the Dead Sea and no, no turning back, nowhere to go. Either he's gonna open that sea or we're going swimming. And at the last second, he opened the Red Sea and here we are. But that was just us saying I'm not the Christ. And I'd love to tell you this because I'm so spiritual. I promise you that I would love to. But my mama who's in heaven can look down and if she were to speak right now, I could say that ain't so. <laughs> All I could say is I'm not the Christ. I'm not that smart. But Jesus is, and if we'll just get out of his way and just say in prayer, every, every morning, every decision, when I'm going to work, when I'm going with my kids and put myself, I love what Don was saying about with your kids every night, praying over, speaking over, because what Don is saying, he's recognizing is I'm not it. I'm not the Christ. And the danger for me is like, I was an entrepreneur before this. I've made and lost an enormous amount of money in our lives. I wasn't a very good entrepreneur, but that didn't stop me. Do you know what I'm saying? And so the danger would be, that we're gonna to try to figure this out on our own as opposed to every day throwing ourselves out of recognition of what Jesus did for us. Not because it's lowering us down, it's just saying this is who we are. Humility is simply believing the truth about yourself. Believe the truth that Jesus, he knew where we are, he knew the situation, he paid and did way too much because he loves us that much. Who are you? I am not the Christ. And then they said to him, well then, if you're not that, then who are you? What about you? What do you say about yourself? What about you? Under the identity of trying to figure out who I am and who you are, the question of who I am, I'm not the Christ. And then the question of, well then what am I? A job and a purpose are not the same thing. Think about it, when you meet somebody new, what's one of the very first questions? Maybe it's not for you, but I'm shallow enough to admit that it is one of the first questions I ask is, well, what do you do? 
Or one of the kids come over, well, I wonder what their dad does for a living. Or, well, that's a nice car. I wonder what his dad does. You know, you start thinking those things. But we begin to identify ourselves on what we do and not what we are. That's a subtle difference that makes all the difference in the world. It's a little bit of a switch on the golf swing. Because what do you do if I'm identifying myself by what I do, then my joy, my sorrow, my excitement, my depression is based solely on whether I'm doing it good enough or not. You see, Paul was able to say in prison, I could be content. I've had much and I've had little, but I was content. I've learned to be content with both. This is in Philippians 4. He says, and how did I do that? He says, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And John said, I'm not the Christ, but what did he say, what am I? He didn't identify himself as the miraculously born priest that turned his back on all that so he could go be this. He could have. He could have said, well, look, I may not be the Christ, but I'm almost. Check out my new status because I'm pretty, I'm pretty hot. Look, I was born miraculously. I'm the forerunner. You know Isaiah, right? You've heard about Isaiah. Well, he talked about me and Malachi, like the last book of the Bible, he was talking about me. Somebody's going to retweet that. He said, he didn't say any of that. He could have, he could have, put yourself in his sandals. He's got a crowd around him. He's got crowds all the time. And he said, I'm a voice. That's it. I am a voice. Talking about Jesus. Talking about who's coming. He's already here and he's coming back. It's like the voice, and what that meant was whether John was the priest in the temple or in the wilderness, because I mean, I don't know, maybe he didn't like locusts. I don't know if you've worn like, you know, animal skins, but they can't be that comfortable. But he didn't, he could be content with that because it's, he's a voice. And I think that for me, the question is, am I trying to be seen? You know what I'm saying? Or is it that I just have a voice and there's something that I'm supposed to say to my children, to my coworkers, to my family, to my community, because that means if that's the case, then it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm a, one of the quickest ways, I think, to depression or to you know, just feeling unfulfilled is the question of, what do you do? If you find your identity, I'm a doctor. My identity is I'm a factory worker. My identity is I'm a police officer. My identity is I'm a, a nurse, I'm a, a stay-at-home mom. If that's your only identity, then even if, and if you've been by the world standards successful, you can know this. If you've ever watched VH1 behind the music, it's the same story over and over again. All the money, all the fame in the world, and they still felt empty inside because it was never the fulfillment could never come by what they did, but only through what they are. If you would recognize that you're a voice, simply the voice, I believe that there's a fulfillment, and here's why this, I think, well, for me, maybe not for you, but it brings me a certain amount of comfort. In Matthew 11, you can write it down and go there later, Jesus actually said that John was the greatest man who ever lived up until that point. Now, keeping in mind, in that would have been Moses, intellectual, alpha male, leader guy. It would have been David the prophet, the scripture refers to David as a prophet. His psalms were prophecies. That included Elijah, the miracle worker. And he's saying John was the greatest man who ever lived till that point. 
And in John 10, 40, Jesus said that John actually never did a single miracle. No sign. He did no great sign. No miracle. No flash. No bang. He just was a voice. And I find solace in that because John wasn't the miracle worker that Elijah was. He wasn't the lawgiver that Moses was. He wasn't the prophet that David was. Neither am I. But he was a voice. And I, I can't sing like David, trust me. Now I can dance like David danced. If you grew up charismatic, you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sorry. <laughs> he was probably okay. But I can't sing like he sang. I can't prophesy like he prophesied. I'm not the miracle worker that Elijah was. But I can be the voice. I can, I can tell him Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. We can, you have opportunities in your day, in your school. You know what, in our child ministry every week there are children that you could actually be a voice to. And how many of us disqualify ourselves? Because oh, I can't be you know, like Jim Henderson who's awesome and full of energy and this driving leader. We had 40 some teenagers here on Wednesday night because you know, Jim and Donna are leaders. They're driving that thing and they're doing awesome and so you can look at that and think, well I'm not that so I'm disqualified, I can't be that. Donna taught our youth last week and my kids came home and they're super challenged intellectually and maybe you don't, you thought I can't do that because that's, that's what they do. But you don't have to be that, you just get to be a voice saying to our kids, Jesus is here among you. Jesus is coming back. Be a voice of Jesus to them like John was and there's a fulfillment when it doesn't matter what I do, when it doesn't matter how successful I am or am not in the world's, I'm just a voice. Takes all the pressure off. I don't even have to close the deal. He didn't say, I am the salesman. He just said, I'm a voice. I'm just telling you the truth, telling you that Jesus is here. And maybe the Lord is tapping on your shoulder to come and be a part of that ministry here and to tell our kids week after week, once a month. Actually, I'm not saying you have to be there every week, by the way, just, just to be clear. <laughs> Sign up once a month. And a husband and wife, my wife was mentioning this last night, it's a great opportunity for families to do together. When you've got moms and teenagers like you know, Carol and Melissa Weaver, they'll go in and they'll teach together and some of you others have done that. You get to not only be a voice to the children that are there, but if you've got a teenager, you get to be a voice with your teenager. What better way to disciple and dis I mean, apprentice your own kids with what you are, which is a voice. Who are you? Who am I? I'm not the Christ. What am I? What are you? I'm a voice crying, saying that Jesus is here. Ask yourself this question. If I knew that Jesus was going to be, I mean literally, like straight up, he's showing up tomorrow at my office, at my place of employment, in my home, ask yourself, what would you do? You'd show up early. <laughs> I'd tell everybody, hey, come here, you gotta listen to this guy. Listen to what he's got to say, he's awesome. He's Jesus. If I can understand that I'm not the Christ, but yet that Jesus is, he was already there. He's getting ready to bring him out. He's already here. He's coming back, but he's already here. I gotta believe that if I wake up that way, and I don't feel like it every day, you don't feel like it every day, but I push through and say, you know what? In my place of work, at the school where I teach, at, at the home where my children are, at the homeschool tutorial that's here, if I wake up and say, I'm a voice, 
And whatever else happens today, I don't know, but I get to be a voice saying to these people around me that Jesus is here. I ain't him, but he's here, and he's coming back soon. And the last question they ask him was not just, who are you, what do you do, but they ask him, well, then why? Why do you do this? I love what he says. He says, I just do it because Jesus, he actually says, I think it's verse 26, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who is coming, who will do, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes or untie them. I'm just a voice saying to him, prepare the way of the Lord. It had nothing to do with my upbringing and my, the lineage that I'm in, but I am here because he is already here. And I wonder if we could try it this week. You could be the voice crying in the wilderness of State Farm Insurance Bureau. You could be the voice crying in the wilderness of your bank that you work at or the school that you teach at. The voice saying that Jesus is already here and he's coming back in a literal form. And that might be, you might, well, Darren, I don't even know how to do that. That's so preachy. I don't Sometimes you can say Jesus is here when you see somebody who's struggling and you go by the water cooler, just give them a hug and be Jesus to them. Say, look, I know, but it's gonna be okay. Because listen, Jesus is already here. He's here to carry your burden. Look, listen to what he did for me. Sometimes we make it, I make it about this huge giant thing, if I can just say it eloquently enough, or just tell them what Jesus did for you. Because I know some of your stories and he'd done a lot. What a great story to tell. Wow, look what Jesus did for me. We get to be that to each other. We get to be that to the world around us. And I say this because in our church body, there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. I was having this conversation with Andrew and Glenda yesterday a little bit about they, they, uh, they work with disaster relief and when things are going down bad, they're right in the middle of it. And, and I could look around the room at Jason Cruz, and I, 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 just, I could keep going on and on and on about people that are doing all these things for the kingdom. And if you don't feel like that I can do that, then all of a sudden you feel a little like, oh, well, what am I qualified to do then? I, I don't feel like God wanted me to go to Guatemala. I don't feel like I'm supposed to. What can I do? And then. And strangely enough, ironically enough, the enemy can get right in the middle of that and make you feel inadequate and make you feel unfulfilled and make you feel like a loser. But let me tell you, Jesus didn't ask you to do it. Don't. So whether you're serving in a disaster area or you're doing uh, with hunting and men's ministry and speaking to fathers and, or wh whether you're doing the TV show, we talked about Tim and Edie last week, whatever the Lord is calling you to do, you can, if you're doing that, you'll be fulfilled. But let me tell you, if you do that and the Lord didn't call you to do it, you're gonna be miserable anyway, so don't. And at the same time, listen, every day you're dependent, you're not the Christ, you're a voice. What is he telling you to do today? Jesus said, in Luke, that a disciple, when he's fully formed, will not be greater than his master, but when he's fully formed, he'll be like his master. He'll be just like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He said, I do and say only what the Father tells me to do and say, period. He was on earth for 30 years before he did his first miracle. I mean, keeping in mind, he could have walked on his bathwater. 
But he didn't because the father didn't tell him to do that or to say anything until he's 30 and until John at this moment says, hey, this is the one. And at that moment, the dove appears and the father from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased because he was just doing what the father told him to do and say, and you can be a voice. So whether you are on a disaster field or whether you're the president of a bank or whether you are raking leaves, it has nothing to do with that anymore and only to do with what is the father telling me to do and to say, because who am I? I am not the Christ. What am I? I am just a voice. I'm here to be seen. I mean, to be heard, not seen. And why do we do it? Because he's already here. And if I believe that, I mean, let me tell you, I get it academically, but if I get it, it's a game changer. And last thing, and if you don't hear anything else I say, and I know that's plausible, but if you don't, hear this. Why was Jesus there? You see, Jesus showed up. Because you might say, Darren, I don't feel him tangibly. I don't feel Jesus here, so I don't want to talk about him. I feel like it won't be authentic or whatever reason I might have. I just don't feel him. I believe Jesus showed up because he knew John was going to be talking about him. And if you've never experienced this before, there's an amazing miracle that happens. And if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. When you start talking about Jesus, he shows up. And it, sometimes it's a step of faith because you're like stepping out going, uh, I don't know, man, this is kind of crazy. But when you start talking about Jesus, not talking about you, not talking about how awesome you are or I am, or what, but talking about Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing, talking about Jesus, this amazing thing happens. He shows up. And if you've ever experienced this, you know what I'm saying, but John said it, I think, is chapter three when he said that he heard the voice of the bridegroom and it brought him so much joy. When you're in that moment and you're just talking about Jesus, and you start to experience that, feel it. When you start to feel and hear the voice of the bridegroom, there is a joy and a fulfillment that your job could never provide, that mine couldn't either. And I'll tell you, there's a joy and a fulfillment that a church can't provide. But Jesus can. When you're talking about him, hey, today when you guys are meeting and greeting, talk about Jesus. I don't know what else to talk about. Tell your Jesus story today. Paul, I think it's Acts 23 when he was at Athens and he brings up that great sermon. You remember that one? Like seminaries study it. This amazing sermon. He starts talking about the, the unknown gods. He's being culturally relevant and he works it all into the script. And if you notice there, how many people came to Christ that day? None. No church was formed that day. And I wonder if that's why in Corinthians, he said, hey, I didn't come to you with fancy words or eloquent phrases. I just come to you with Jesus and him crucified. Because when he then stands before Agrippa later, he actually, he doesn't break out the sermon anymore. He just says, look, this is my apologetic, my apologia, my defense of the scripture. And he didn't break down the Dawkins de debate. He said, this is what Jesus did for me. That's all I can say is this happened to me. And if you remember, that's when Herod said, hey, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Not because he was eloquent, he just, this was his Jesus story. In our Discover Conduit, when we talk about it, that, that's part of what we do is, what's your Jesus story? Because God uses your life as a parable. You're a voice. 
Use your voice to talk about Jesus. There's a quote that floats around the internet from time to time about, uh, it's, a, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It sounds so spiritual, and it's on the internet, so it must be true. But it says that uh, you, <laughs> the, the quote is to preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. The trouble with that is, uh, A, he didn't say that, and B, it's not biblical. God gave you a mouth. He gave us a life. There's no question. We must live what we talk about, live that way, not out of obligation, but out of recognition. But you've got to tell your Jesus story because in the same way that when Jesus would tell stories and people would be impacted, it says he's spoken parables and without a parable he didn't teach them, your life becomes a parable to someone else. I get to look at the lives of Doug and Deidre and say, man, there's a story going on in your life that inspires me. Your, your God story with Colton's an inspiration to me as a parent. What you guys went through and suffered and, and conquered, it's, it's like, there was a, it was like there was a certain man that went down in Ohio. You could just hear Jesus telling the story. <laughs> Every one of us in this room has that. And when, I, when, you, when we as a church can come to that and realize it has, God could blow this building down tomorrow, and it doesn't matter because it was never about this, it was about us. It was about us knowing who we are, which is not the Christ, knowing that what we are, which is we're a voice, and that why? It's because he's already here, and he's coming back soon, quite literally, over and over and over again. Let our prayer lives reflect that this week. Let our social lives reflect that this week. What kind of a church could we be I'll tell you what we could be. We could be a church sending out missionaries all the time, planting churches right next door because we don't care. It's all about the kingdom, all about Jesus, not about us. We could be a church full of people that when it comes time to, when I'm about to hit the self-destruct button, I don't hit it anymore because I know who I'm not. I'm not the Christ. I know that my voice is just to say who he is so my fulfillment doesn't anymore come from my spouse or my work my decisions, but it comes from him and him alone. Could we be that at Conduit? Whew. Imagine what we could be. I'll tell you what we could be. We could be who Jesus created us to be. We can say to the world and to sin and society that's bulldozed us over, that wants us to be depressed because I should have been some, I, man, I'm already 30. I felt like I'd be a whole lot further along than I was gonna be. Yeah, probably. I'm 40. I think I should be, where, where's my retirement? Where? I'm a voice. I'm not the Christ. He's already here. Go this week and be that. Would you do that in worshipers? Would you come back and do some business with God this morning, gang? Before we go and eat the burgers and the dogs, pray about the story that God wants you to tell, the story that he's writing in your life, that you're just a voice, a voice of one of the most important messages in history, a voice of a message that split history in two, a voice of one crying in the wilderness of Lewisburg Pike, the wilderness of College Grove, <laughs> the wilderness of Thompson Station in Spring Hill and the world around us, a voice saying, prepare the way of the Lord. He's already here, gang. He's here right now. Let that somehow settle from your head to your hearts. God, would you do that for us today? Would you bring it from my head to my heart that we might all be able to look at each other and tell the Jesus story because he's already here. You're here, Lord. What would you have us to do and say? There's nothing to do with 
someone else in what you've called them to do, let them be that. But as you said to Peter, what, what's, it up to, what's it to you? We just want to compare ourselves to you this morning, what you've called us to be. And Lord, for those of us that may be in a job that you've, it just feels like a dead end, this is not where I saw myself. God, would you speak to that person, those people this morning, and say, hey, you're not the Christ, but I am, and I'm good, and I love you. Speak to those this morning that are maybe long past this, that don't have the midlife crisis anymore, but those of us that are older and say, Lord, to us this morning, to you, speak. How can they be a voice in their community, a voice to us, a voice to me, Lord, telling the Jesus story? And those that are younger, that maybe trying to fight and get up that ladder of success, Lord, just give us the realization that has nothing to do with that and only to be with the fact that I am a voice, I am not the Christ, and you're already here. It's in your name, it's in the nature of who you are, your name, Jesus, that I can pray.